Well, good afternoon, everyone, and a happy new year to you all again. It's, um, well, it's, it's such a privilege, actually, because I got to speak last year at New Year's as well. I don't know if you remember. Um, that was down at Cornwall Street Baptist when I spoke there, and that was for New Year's. And, uh, yeah, and I don't know if you remember what I spoke on a year ago. You know, you are supposed to memorize these things and remember all the sermons that get spoken to you. But I spoke about trusting in the Lord, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. And uh, little did we know what, how important that would be to trust the Lord this year and all the things that were going to happen. And, you know, obviously with the coronavirus and everything that's happening in the world, it's been quite hard to trust in that world, hasn't it? But we trust in the Lord. And Kevin reiterated it this morning quite amazingly. But, you know... I'm not here to talk about those things again, and, you know, we've been through all that, but I do, I do want to give thanks to our Father in heaven who has sustained us and protected us as a church. Um, some have gotten ill over the time, and we've had to face some family difficult, some difficult family situations at times, but on a whole, I believe that God has protected us, he's sustained us, and he's empowered us to endure through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've been able to love others, and the Lord has added to the church through that. So, you know, I just want to give thanks to the Father for that. So, what I would like to do is start the year off by telling you a bit about me, something a bit you might not know. Now, I was supposed to bring my birth certificate, but I left it at home. I had it ready, but it's at home. But if anybody wants proof, I'll send you a picture, all right? But my birth certificate states that my name is Mark John Daniels if any of you didn't know that. That's because my real father's name is Graham Daniels. And um, my mother divorced from him, and she remarried when I was about two or three. And my stepdad's name was Phil Lofthouse. And he changed my name by Depole. Hence, now, my surname is Mark Lofthouse. But if you had to ask me about my real father, Graham... I couldn't tell you much about him at all. So as, as, a, as a child, I don't remember him. He moved to Australia and he got remarried, so I never really saw him growing up. And so apart from birth name, I probably wouldn't even call him dad, you know. But my stepdad, Phil Lofthouse, I called him dad because that's who I knew growing up as a child. Now, because I called him dad, does that mean he cared for me? Or did I call him dad because he loved me? Or perhaps I called him dad because he guided and nurtured me, as a father's supposed to do. To most, these would be really good reasons to call someone dad, wouldn't they, or father. I called him dad out of fear. Not because he did anything of those. He did feed me and clothe me. But he abused me. He belittled me. He was physically abusive to me. And most of the time, he was too drunk to be a loving father, as he should be. Now, I'm not trying to start off by depressing you all, and I'm not looking for sympathy as the new year starts, <laughs> okay? But I'm telling you these things because I want to share with you how the love of a real father changed my heart forever. That's what I'm here to share with you today. And as we enter this new year, I want you to know how great a father we have who loves us and cares for us so deeply. The last time I was here a few months ago, I was speaking from Romans 8. If you remember, I was speaking about how nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And I'm going back to Romans 8 today again, <laughs> because I think it is an amazing chapter. 
But we're going to be looking today at verses 12 to 17. So if you can turn with me from verses 12 to 17 in Romans 8, please. That's going to be one of our main two passages today. I have got a lot of other scriptures, but I managed to get the slides. So I've got slides for you today, so don't worry too much about it. <laughs> okay, so Romans verses 12 to 7. Uh, so, sorry, Romans 8 verses 12 to 7, yeah. So if we read together, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to come together and, and to learn from your word. And Holy Spirit, I would ask that you would give me the words to speak today. And I pray, Lord, that whatever I teach may be edifying to your church and it may bring glory to your name. I thank you that we can just learn and be glorified, bring the glory to you, Father God, but also be uplifted through your word and be edified. In Jesus' name, I thank you for these things. Amen. Okay, so, so let's start looking at the text. And if we start in verse 12, so verse 12 starts off by saying, therefore, so what does that mean, therefore? We usually know when Paul talks about therefore, he's talking about something that he's spoken about before. So in the previous verses, now, I'm not going to go into them because when I was looking at all this stuff in, in, I mean, chapter eight of Romans, I could probably do a week seminar on it. OK, but I've only got 40 minutes, so I had to like cut it down a bit. So <laughs> not going too much into what the previous verses say, but basically they're talking about what the Holy Spirit has done for us. OK, by regenerating us into a new creation so that we no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. It also says this is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. He now dwells within us. And because of this, we are not debtors to the flesh, but to the spirit. This is similar to what is said in another favorite scripture of mine. Galatians 5, verse 16 to 18. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do these things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Very similar here to what verse 12 is saying, see? Now in verse 13, Paul tells us what happens if we do live according to the flesh. And I think the word here, because if you see it says, for if you live according to the flesh, I think that's referring to somebody who's not born again, who's not spirit-filled, you know? What will happen to those? Well, it says, you will die, basically. You will die. And I think that's referring to a spiritual death that will happen. But those who, the second half of 13, sorry, the second half of verse 13 says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
spiritual life, eternal life. Yeah. So how do we put to death the deeds of the flesh? What does it mean to put to death the deeds of the flesh? I think simply put here, this is talking about sanctification. This is a daily process that happens through the Holy Spirit that we put to death the, the works of the flesh. As mentioned before, as we spoke about in Galatians, yeah, we are walking in the Spirit. We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We put to death the flesh by walking in the Spirit. Now, the subjects discussed in these last verses, which could include salvation, justification, regeneration, sanctification, are all so important to the life of a believer. And again, as I said earlier, I could probably do a week-long seminar on it, okay? John MacArthur does it better, though. <laughs> but I really want to focus on what verses 14 to 17 are teaching, and that is the sonship or adoption through the Holy Spirit. Now, the concept of adoption is hugely important in the life of a believer. John Calvin said that the gift of sonship is the highest privilege of redemption and the primary work of the Holy Spirit. So let's have a look at what verse 14 says here. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, I just want to say that in the context of what the Scripture is saying here, it says sons of God. The NIV translation actually says children of God. Because I don't believe that this is gender specific. At the time Paul was writing this in the context of the culture under the Roman culture and where he you know where they were, sons would have been used because it would have been sons who were primarily the heirs of their father's estate. And it was at that time that sons were predominantly it was a male predominant culture that, you know, the, the sons became the heirs. So that's why he uses the text sons. But I think it does include all of us, and it means children, okay? So none of us are excluded from this. So we, so here we can see that those who are led by the Spirit into salvation are not only reborn and justified by faith, but now, because of the love of God, we are also children of God. We see this confirmed in 1 John 3 verse 1, which says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now, just to clarify a few things, we need to go slightly back in the Bible to let's go to Genesis, the beginning, <laughs> right? <laughs> but in Genesis, I've got all the scriptures here for you, so you don't have to go back. In Genesis 1 verse 26, we see God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You see, God created us on earth to show his glory. We were created in his image. John MacArthur says that in his rational life, man was like God that he could reason and had intellect, will, and emotion. And in a moral sense, man was like God in that he was good and sinless. That was before the fall. So here, in the beginning, we see the relationship of the father and his created children the way it was meant to be, in that perfect relationship. Obviously, after the fall of man, we see that the evil in man's heart became so great, 
And we read in verse 6 and 7 of Genesis 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, can you imagine that that's where it ended? But as Pat always likes to say, but God, <laughs> through his grace and love, says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in verse 8. So we know that he found grace. And because of God's continuous grace and mercy and his promises to us, he established a people through Abraham, through to King David, and eventually to the birth of our Savior, Jesus, which was part of his ultimate plan to reunite us together with the Father as his children. So I want to look at God the Father and how he is the perfect Father. When you look at your own lives and your fathers, some of you might have some really good stories of how great your fathers were or maybe still are. Others might have some stories similar to mine, where your fathers were abusive or let you down, or maybe a bit of both. But ultimately, we can all say that our earthly fathers are not perfect. When we look at the New Testament, there are only two occasions recorded that God himself talks about his son. The first is in Matthew 3, verse 17, at the baptism of Jesus, which says, And suddenly a voice came down from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The second time is also in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, at the transfiguration of Jesus. It says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So in both of these scriptures, when the father talks about the son, we can see that he confirms the identity to who Jesus is. He says, this is my son. He confirms the pleasure he takes in his son. He says, I am well pleased in him. And in Matthew 7, he also confirms his love for his son in both of those scriptures. And in Matthew 17, he goes further to confirm the honor due to Jesus by telling those who are listening to hear him because of the authority that has been given to him by the father does that not sound like the perfect father imagine if all our fathers were like that imagine we were like that as fathers i'm sure that we would be living in a much more stable and loving world environment than the one we currently experience i want us to turn to john chapter 5 now if you could please And in, in John chapter 5 here, I want to look at how Jesus was the perfect son and in a way, our perfect big brother. Please don't say I'm heresy or anything like that. I'm going to explain that a bit later to you, okay? <laughs> but I want to look here in John chapter 5, how Jesus reacts to his perfect father's love. So in John 5, we have the story of, the, of Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. On the Sabbath. And I want us to read from verses 16 to 19 first. And it says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, 
My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. So you can see here that Jesus, being God, was nothing without the Father. Because of what the Father had said to Jesus at his baptism, this confirmed to Jesus his identity as God, the Son. And he was able to say to those persecuting him that he was equal to God the Father. But he only did what the Father wanted him to do. And that included healing someone on the Sabbath in this occasion, which is confirmed in Matthew 12, verse 8, because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, wouldn't it be great if we had that boldness, knowing our identity from our Father? Well, I want us to go back to Romans 8 for a bit. We will come back to John 5. These are the two main scriptures, so if you want to keep a marker maybe on that. But I just want to go back to Romans 8. And I want to look at what verse 15 says. So it says, For you did not receive the the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You see, because of who we are, led by the Spirit of God to become children of God, we no longer have a spirit of fear or bondage as those who are unsaved. But we have been adopted into his family that we can say, Abba, Father. Now, the word Abba here is actually Aramaic for father. So why does Paul say, Father, Father, you know, in the scripture here? He's trying to emphasize the father-son relationship that we have between us and God. And also, this Aramaic word for father wouldn't have been used in prayer with the Jews at the time but it would have been used by the children when they addressed their father as a term of endearment. Almost like today, some of us might say daddy or papa. It's quite interesting. I was speaking to my daughter about this the other day, and I said, do you think, you know, it's right to call God daddy? And she went, no, you can't say that. You know, he's father in heaven. And don't get me wrong here. God is holy and he's righteous And he is worthy of all our praise and reverence. But he's also our loving Abba Father. Who wants us to say we can call him Daddy. Yeah? Isn't that the perfect father? Paul writes a similar thing in Galatians 4 verse 5 to 7. And he says, To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, children. And because you are sons, children... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son or a child. And if a son, child, then an heir of God through Christ. Now think about this. We can be assured that God is our father and that we have the boldness to come before him with anything, any problem, any worry, any fears or doubt, or even just to praise him love him and honor him luke 12 verse 7 says 
The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. God knows every single hair on our heads. Some of us have less, some of us have more, you know, but he still knows every single one. He, he knows everything about us. It makes me think of a song that we sing, and um, I was going to sing it, but I was told not to because I'd be cheesy, so I'm just going to say the words. But it's one of my favorite songs, and the chorus, He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. I love that song, and, and it just shows you that relationship, how God knows everything about us. That is love from a perfect father. Now, I'd like us to turn back to John 5, if you could, for a minute, please. And I want to look a bit further into this. So we read in verse 16 that the Jews persecuted Jesus and wanted to kill him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was being persecuted and someone was trying to kill me, I'd probably run (laughs) for my life. But what does Jesus do? In verse 20, Jesus says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you might marvel. Now, at times in school, because of my upbringing and that, I was bullied in school, physically, emotionally. Not once did I ever stand up and say, Now you listen here, my Father loves me, so you better watch out. I don't know if any of you have ever done that, if you've been in trouble. (laughs) But because Jesus knows the Father loves him, and because the Father takes pleasure in him, and because the Father has given him the honor that we see in verse 22 to 24, I just want us to jump ahead quickly and read that. It says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgments to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So because of this, he is able to stand before those who persecute him and speak the truth, knowing that nothing can ever separate him from the love of his father and because we have been adopted as children into the family we no longer have the spirit of bondage to fear but we too have a spirit of boldness to proclaim the truth of the gospel and his love as it says in ephesians 3 12 in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him If we could just return back now to uh, Romans 8, to our main text. Last time. I'm going to stay in the text here now. (laughs) And I want to look at verse 16, which says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, towards the beginning, I mentioned how John Calvin said that the adoption, the, the gift of adoption is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. When we look at Romans 8 as a whole, you could probably call it the chapter of the Holy Spirit. In chapters 1 to 7 of Romans, the Spirit is mentioned only a few times. But in chapter 8, it is mentioned over 20 times in this chapter. He frees us from sin and death. He enables us to fulfill 
the law of God. He changes our nature and gives us victory over the flesh. And he confirms our adoption as God's children, as we've just read. And finally, he goes on to confirm and guarantee our ultimate glory with God. Now, before moving on, I just want to talk a bit about adoption. Now, some of you might think, well, adoption, maybe it's not always that great, though, is it? Because today, when children get adopted into families, sometimes it doesn't always work out. Maybe even to the point where the child's get given back to the adoption agency. You hear about that sometimes. Or maybe the child is a second-class citizen in the family, you know? Maybe it's not as important. But the context of what adoption means here is totally different. Even when I look back on my life, you know, I was never fully adopted by Phil Lofthouse, but I had my name changed. But I was never really accepted as his real son. And I was always a second class compared to his real children in my life growing up. But when God talks about adoption into his family, we need to look at what Paul is talking about here and, and the times of the Romans and the, con, you know, the context of everything. Now, in Roman culture that Paul was living in, under Roman law, if someone was adopted legally, basically that adoptee would become an heir to take over from the father. In some cases, the adoptee could actually override somebody who was already in the family if they did it that way. They could adopt somebody because they thought he would be better to actually carry on the family. So, but legally, he would have full rights to that family and take over everything, even if there was another child who maybe had failed or somebody in that situation. So, in that sense, you can see from that, from adoption, that we are becoming true children of God, heirs into the family. In Romans 9, verse 7 to 8, it says, Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So we also see Jesus said to the Jews who claimed that God was their father. You see, many claim this. In, in John chapter 8, he spoke to them because they said, God is our father. You know, what are you talking about? And in verse 42 to 43, Jesus said to them, If God were your father... You would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. And in verse 44 of that chapter, he goes on to make a very profound statement. He says, you are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He, is a, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So what we can see here is that adoption through the spirit, that is how we become true children of God. Not, you know, you had all these Jews who had grown up and God had chosen Israel as his people, but that didn't make them true children of God from the promise and through the Spirit, it is only because through the Spirit that we become children of God. And because we're born of the Spirit and we no longer walk in the flesh, that we can be called children of God 
And now we have a relationship with our perfect father. Now, having a loving father is one of the greatest privileges of adoption. You see, as Wayne Gruden puts it in his Systematic Theology, great book if you want to read it. It's big, but... uh, (laughs) Moreover, God could have given us justification without the privileges of adoption into his family. For he could have forgiven our sins and given us right legal standing before him without making us his children. It is important to realize that this because it helps us recognize how great our privileges are in adoption. Regeneration has to do with our spiritual life within. Justification has to do with our standing before God's law. But adoption has to do with our relationship with God as our father. You see, there are many privileges to being adopted into God's family. Another one, another privilege is in the first part of verse 17 here in Romans 8. And it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now I mentioned earlier about Jesus being our perfect big brother. And I think here, with other scriptures, this is evidence of this. I want to clarify something though. There is a distinction between us and Jesus, and we are not equal, okay? (laughs) In John 20, verse 17, Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. So we can see that Jesus makes a distinction here between his father and our father. And we know that Jesus is the word who became flesh and spoke all things into existence. But we can see in this verse as well that Jesus called the disciples his brethren. He said, go and tell my brethren. In Hebrews 2 verse 11, it states, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And in Romans 8 verse 29, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is why I said Jesus is our perfect big brother. So what does it mean, though, that we will be joint heirs with Christ? Well, If we read in Hebrews 1 verse 2, it says, Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So all things have been given to Christ from the Father. And we are now joint heirs with Christ, according to Romans 8. That is quite amazing if you think about that. All things have been given to Christ, and we are joint heirs with Christ. All things are given to us. I love the way John MacArthur puts it. He says, Every adopted child will receive by divine grace the full inheritance Christ receives by divine right. That's amazing. When Jesus himself is praying for all the believers in John 17... 
he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one as we are one. So we too will be glorified one day with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Anybody looking forward to that inheritance? <laughs> I think when you look at this, though, a lot of the privileges that we relate to adoption are still to come, especially when we think of eternal life and to rule and reign with Christ. But we looked earlier at 1 John 3 verse 1, where it says that God loves us so much that he has called us children of God. But if we read on in verse 2 and 3, it says, this is future tense, and it says, Beloved, now we are children, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we can see that when Christ returns, we will finally be in our glorified bodies and be like Christ, and we will be receiving true eternal inheritance with him. But what do we do until that day comes? We still have so many privileges to being adopted by God. We have already mentioned the most important being our renewed relationship with our Father. Another privilege is, is what Ethan spoke about last week, and that is to that God disciplines his children. Is that a privilege? Yes, it is. I'm not going to go in much into it. And if you didn't get to hear it, please go on the website of the podcast and hear all about it and how amazing it is that, um, you know, what Ethan spoke about, about being disciplined by God there. But in Proverbs 3, verse 11 to 12, it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. That same verse is repeated in Hebrews um, chapter 12. Another great privilege of adoption into God's family is the fact that we are all one family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 3 verse 26 to 29 says, For you, all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many as you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, nor for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. When I look out at this church here in Cardiff, Calvary Chapel, we are very diverse. We have South Africans, Americans, Brazilians, Chinese, Nigerians. Welsh, English, Irish, we have Malaysians, Ghanaians, I did look up that word, it is a word, <laughs> and other cultures and backgrounds. If I missed anybody else, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure we, we have this variety. We are a diverse church, yeah, and we're all in one place. We are all heirs, brothers and sisters, through Christ, and we all have the same perfect Father which means that we can all love one another. 
In fact, Paul instructs us in 1 Timothy 5 5, how to treat our fellow church members. In verses 1 to 2 of 1 Timothy 5, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So this should also give us a new perspective of what the work of the church is. It's a family work. It's a family business, the church. Now, finally, and this relates to part of our father's love and discipline. If we look back at verse 17 and we look at the second part of this verse, we've read the first part. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Okay, you ready? It says, if indeed or provided that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, I just want to clarify that not all of us will suffer exactly as Jesus did. But as John MacArthur says, proof of the believer's ultimate glory is that he suffers, whether it comes as mockery, ridicule, or physical persecution because of his Lord. Kevin shared with us a few weeks ago from Matthew 5, and in verses 10 to 12, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you, falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as we enter into this new year, I would really encourage you to draw near to your perfect Heavenly Father. And I want us to experience the intimacy that He offers us through the gift of adoption. For many years, my views were very skewed about who God was as a father. This was because of my experiences from my earthly father and, you know, growing up, and I didn't really understand it. But through God's Holy Spirit and through his wisdom, he has taught me what it means to be adopted and to be a, you know, a son of God now, to be that I can call him daddy. I think some of you might say, well, maybe I've never experienced this love from a father or I don't even know God in this way or what does that mean? Well, I think Thomas asked the same question in John 14 verse 5 and Thomas said to him Lord we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way and Jesus said to him I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me you see Jesus is the way to salvation which brings you into adoption to the father into the perfect family I just want to end off by um quoting lyrics uh just um, reading you some songs from a lyric and uh, it seems to be the thing today doing lyrics <laughs> but um this this is a newish song and it's, it's one of my favorite by um, jeremy camp and his wife and um the, the song is called father i thank you but i just wanted to read this because this when i was re- listening to this today just it really just struck me and i'm just going to read you the bridge and the chorus but it says raised from my broken state healed through eternal grace, and you call me yours. Your love is now my home, 
sorrow's been turned to hope and you call me yours father i thank you for this glorious rescue for the moment of breakthrough father i thank you i think that is amazing he calls me his yeah that is an amazing thing to be adopted by god into his family let's pray together oh heavenly father i just thank you so much that we have come together today and just we're able to through your word just know that we have been adopted into your family and i pray that every person here will just understand that adoption that how much we mean to you how great your love is towards us that we can say abba father that we can come before you with everything that we have every care every burden we can bring before you because you hear us you know our name you see every tear that falls from us and you love us all the same i thank you lord that as we go out that we would just share that love with one another as we are all brothers and sisters in christ that we would just be willing to share your gospel to know who we are through you and have that boldness in jesus name i thank you for these things in jesus name amen